Good evening. You guys sound great tonight. I had my ear bandage removed. Maybe that's how you always sound. But tonight, you sound really, really good. Thanks for the communion and helping us reflect. Happy Easter. And the Kleins, Tyson and Chloe, are back from the U.S. So welcome back. She's got her fresh pair of Chuck Taylors on from the U.S. That's very cool. Welcome back. We missed you. We love you. Glad to have you back. We also have good friends of the Smiths and also our brothers and sisters in Christ visiting us from the sister church in Hong Kong. So if Sonny and Bonnie could stand up, they're here. Um, and then also Dan and Alexa as well, if they could stand up. We got a chance to hang out and spend time with them today. And I was really grateful, especially for, for Dan and for Sonny, because they wrestled Luke the entire day. And they wore him out so he will sleep well tonight. So you guys are welcome back in New Zealand anytime you want. <laughs> Feel free to come on over. So it is Easter, and Easter is about second chances, if you think about it. That's, that's the, 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 the logo on the video, is it's about second, second chances. And so if you thought about one event, one event in your life that you could go back and redo, hit the reset button, clean slate, start over, what would it be? For you, And so we all probably have a variety of things we would go back and change. For instance, maybe it was a hairstyle you chose. You know, for instance, maybe it was a hairstyle like this. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. That is one cool hairstyle. Why don't you bring that back? But may, maybe that's something that Megan especially feels like, if, if I had a chance to go back, maybe I shouldn't actually try to have dreadlocks. I wasn't meant to have those. Or maybe if you're a teenager and you're thinking about going to university, and then you get into university and you're not sure what you're doing, so you just pick a degree and you think, why did I pick underwater basket weaving? <laughs> Because when I get into the real world, it has no application in my life whatsoever. Maybe that would be something that you thought about. Or there's lots of relationship drama throughout life. In any stage of life, there's always things that we say or things that we wish we had said or things we didn't say. And so maybe it's something like that. I shouldn't have said that. I definitely should not have said that. Whatever, whatever that means for you, whether it's in your relationships currently or whether it's parental things you wish you would have said to your kids or things you wish you would not have said to your kids. All of this really points to, I believe, a desire in humanity basically for second chances. We all kind of have that embedded into us. I want another shot. I want another opportunity. And I believe that it just, I believe that it reaches beyond simply having second chances. And it, and it actually reaches to something spiritual. And it's a longing for forgiveness. Bro, I forgive you for that hairstyle. I, yeah, <laughs> Megan said, amen, preach that. You know, I forgive you for that degree. I forgive you for what you said. I forgive you for not being, the, for whatever it is. We all kind of long for that because we understand. You're flawed, I'm flawed, we're flawed. We need second chances. We need forgiveness.
forgiveness. And, and we believe that the Easter story is a story of second chances. That's, that's what we believe. And, it, and, it, and it's not only found in the Gospels. Although that's primarily what we read on Easter is Jesus rising from the dead. And appropriately, that's what we should read. But that theme is found in the whole Bible. Second chances. We, we believe the Bible, if you're visiting with us, we believe the Bible is so unique that, it, that any story on any page ultimately carries this seed of truth of second chances. Everything points to Jesus. You could turn into the beginning of the Bible and you could find something about Jesus. The middle of the Bible. The end of the Bible. Everything ultimately points to Jesus. Tonight we'll look at a story we believe points to that from the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 17. And we'll pray as you turn to your Bibles in 1 Kings chapter 17. And we'll read a few verses and talk about this story and how it helps us understand the concept of second chances. I believe the reason Luke was so wound up and ready to wrestle is because he watched the Joseph Parker fight this morning and he was so frustrated at the loss that he just needed to take it out on somebody. I think that's what it was. So he got, it, he got his wrestling out. Let's pray and then we'll read 1 Kings chapter 17. Father, we are, we are so grateful to be able to worship you and come before you and humbly look at your words that carry eternal truth. And I pray as, as we read them, as a body, that your spirit really, really quickens our minds and our hearts to, to really take hold of the truth in this, in this word of yours and that we apply it to our lives and that it doesn't end there, that we take it to this city, we take it to this country, we take it to this region of the world, we take it to this world who needs to hear second chances. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Starting in 1 Kings, we're going to be, pick up in verse 17 and read... Until the end of the chapter. First Kings chapter 17. Some time later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where, she was, where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then, she, then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. What a wild passage from the Old Testament. If you read the entire chapter 17, it starts by Elijah announcing a great drought, a famine that will end only when he says it ends. He announces it. And then God says to Elijah, Elijah, because there's going to be a drought, go and live next to the river in a van down by the river. Go live next to the river. 
and you'll be able to drink from the river, and birds will feed you. Elijah does so, and he's fed by ravens during that time. And then God says, Elijah, I want you to move to Zarephath. And we all know Zarephath, where that is, because it's a widely talked about city. But we'll look at it briefly here in a minute. But he says, move there, and I want you to stay with a widow. And he does. He finds this woman, and when he approaches the scene, he finds this woman basically collecting sticks for a fire for their last meal. And if you read through the passage, while he sees the mom gathering these sticks, and he he calls out to her and says, before you make your final meal, can you please give me something to eat? And when I read that, I think, what was he thinking? That sounds so bizarre. But she does. She does make him something. And and, and she is a fantastic example of faith. And Elijah says, I know you don't have much, but your flour and your oil won't run out. And they don't. And then we pick up in 17, sometime later. So Elijah's been staying here. And sometime later, her son grows sick and he dies. And she basically blames Elijah in verse 20. Why have you done this? And she also says, you're a man of God. What do you have against me, man of God? Have you come to expose my sin? And, and cause this tragedy, Elijah quickly goes into action, cries out to God, takes the boy upstairs, his life returns, he brings her back to the woman, and then at the end of the passage, she says, now I know you are a man of God. She calls him that in the beginning, but now she really calls, I, I know you are a man of God after this. What in the world is this story all about, and how does this relate to Easter at all? Two things that really do connect to the Easter story. One is the concept of enemy territory. What in the world does that mean? Part of the clue to understanding this story is the town of Zarephath. God tells Elijah earlier in this chapter, go there. Go to Zarephath and live there with this widow. Stay with this widow. Where is Zarephath? Well... It's Mount Carmel, you might remember, where Elijah calls down the fire. Really cool, awesome scene in the Bible. And burns up all the false prophets of Baal. It's about 30 to 50 K north of that. It's at the top with the red circle around it. That's Zarephath. Why is that important? That God told him to go live there. Why? That's not Israelite territory. That's pagan territory. That's basically enemy territory. Because when you read through the book of Kings, the people up there worship Baal and Ahab the king starts to worship Baal as if he's equal to God. And all this is going on. And so this, was the, this would be the last place Elijah would want to go and live. Into the heart of Baal worship. Into the heart of pagan territory. Into enemy land. God says, I want you to go to Zarephath and I want you to live there. Now during this time, you can read through this chapter, there are scouts looking to kill Elijah. 
And they're looking all over for him. So you got to imagine he turns up into some town in some lady's house. And scouts are probably looking for Elijah through the area. And has anybody seen this wild, crazy prophet? Any word of him? Anything? And you got to imagine, what's the bounty on his head? I'll turn him in. He's staying in my house. He's living in the heart of enemy territory. God told him to go live there. And he does. I I have to believe that without this command from God, there's no way Elijah would be there. No way. No way. It's like they'll they'll worship everywhere. And and anyone in their right mind, if they spotted Elijah, would have said, man, that's the guy the king's looking for. That's the guy the king wants to kill. Let's turn him in. But here he is in Zarephath. That's the place God sent him. And because of that, Life is given to this mother and this son. Because he's deeply embedded into pagan enemy territory. It's quite wild. This is the front of a small memorial in Berlin. In 2008 it was opened and the purpose of this memorial, and once again we could have Olaf translate it, but it it basically translates to silent heroes. And the reason was this memorial is honoring Germans who protected Jews during the Holocaust. And it's, it's very moving when you read this kind of literature. There was one woman who hid a mother and her daughter for two years in a small room between her hallway and her bedroom. And they lived there for two years and the, the Nazis would come scouting the area and, and they were never found. And they, they repeatedly sent scouts to look through this area and they're never found. They offered protection in this kind of enemy territory for two years. And so finally in 2008, they say we, we need to build some kind of memorial for this courage and this bravery. And, and, and I think for myself and probably you, probably for many, we applaud that kind of bravery. Yeah, I admire that kind of courage in human nature. I'm inspired by men and women who risk their lives to save the lives of others. And I imagine you do the same. I move their, by their courage and it calls me higher to want to have courage as well. And, and we build memorials. To honor those kinds of people. But I'm convinced that trait doesn't originate in humans. I believe it originated with God. Going deep into enemy territory in humanity from heaven to save all of mankind. And because we kind of have a, a dim reflection of that, we, we, we kind of understand that that's what produces that in humanity. There's an echo when, when people want to help and save the lives of others. It's, it's an echo of God doing what he has done through Jesus. And in this passage that we're looking at tonight, it's Elijah. He's entering enemy territory. And when he does, the woman is saved from starvation And the son is saved twice. Because God told him to go deep into this. This this is a foreshadowing of the Easter story. That's why I believe everything in the Bible points to this second chance. Jesus 
comes from heaven, wraps himself in flesh, and walks among enemy territory. They are hostile. John opens his gospel by saying he came to that which was his own, but his own people rejected him. And here he is walking the planet for 30 some years. And he plays by humanity's rules. And by those same rules, they kill him. And, you know, again, we admire the courage of people that risk their lives to save others. But again, I believe it's really a calling deep in our soul to say we long for that second chance from our divine creator who sent his son to save us. And I believe this has application in our lives. I believe most, if not all, of our deep longings and desires are those kind of echoes to connect back to our creator. What we admire in humanity didn't originate in humanity. It originated with God. And, and that's what we see. When we see these things, it really is, is God calling us to say, Hey, look, I came down to you. And I live like you. Because I love you. I came to intimate territory to offer everyone a second chance. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Secondly... The second chance. If we were to summarize this, it's basically God comes to enemy territory to give us a second chance. Someone asks you, what's, what's the Bible about? You could use that tagline and then go on to explain how everything in the Bible is summed up in that by Jesus. Twice in this chapter, Elijah saves the son from death. First time he comes and they're about to starve to death. And Elijah says, don't worry about it, that flower... And that oil will keep producing miraculously. And it does. The second rescue is of the son, but it, I believe it also rescues the mother from grief. And because of Elijah's presence, they're, they're both offered a second chance on life. And you have to imagine the impact that that would have had on them to basically know we were this close. And even my son experienced it. And Elijah gave us a second chance. And, and this is what Elijah does. He, he goes into action. And he, he spreads himself out over the boy. This is what he does in verse 19. Give me your son. He goes upstairs. Verse 20. Then he cries out to God. And then in verse 21. He stretches himself out on the boy three times. And cries out to God. Let this boy's life return to him. I mean, this is wild to visualize. Laying on top of this boy, crying out to God, and God listens. And God gives this boy a second chance. How, How does this even relate to Easter at all? Well, in the Gospels, when Jesus walks around and kind of takes a poll survey and says, who, who do people think I am? And they kind of give some off-the-cuff answers. And one of those is, some people say, you're Elijah. Why? Well, because if you read the ministry of Elijah, man, wherever that guy went, something powerful happened. And so here's Jesus walking around and they say, you, they think you're like Elijah because you're 
powerful. And so they knew something was different about the ministry of Jesus. They knew there was a power in him that they hadn't seen in a long time. However, the power of Jesus exceeded the power of Elijah. And in our passage, what, what, what happens is instead of Elijah stretching himself out, because that's the way the text describes it, he stretches himself out on the boy. Instead of that happening, Jesus will come and stretch himself out on the cross. And he will put both his hands at arm's width and they will nail him to the cross as he's stretched out once on a tree. And there's this similar imagery where, where Elijah stretching himself out. Jesus will stretch himself out on the cross. In this passage, Elijah cries out twice. You can read he cries out kind of the same cry. Verse 20 and also verse 22 or 21. It's in there. He does it twice. But he cries, Mike, God, please, God, please save this boy. When you read the gospel of Matthew, Jesus also cries out twice. From the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As it was read from Petrus and Tilly. Later on it says he cried out in a loud voice. And he breathed his last. In this passage, because of Elijah's cry, it says, God heard his cry. Verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him. Surely when Jesus is crying out on the cross, God hears his cry and brings him back to life. Come on. And in our passage in 1 Kings, Elijah brings the boy back downstairs into verse 22 and gives him to the mother. And she says, I, I know you're the real deal. I know you're a man of God. I, I believe. When Jesus comes out of the tomb... And he appears to Mary Magdalene. And he has a conversation with her. She, oh man. She believes. And she carries the news to the other disciples. And so embedded in every single page of the Bible is the theme of second chances. In this passage. In every passage. But we have to be looking for it and open to it because it's there. Now second chance on what though? I mean, that's kind of a vague notion. But in this passage, I, I see a few things. One is I see you get a second chance when your theology is wrong. Because in, in this passage, she blames Elijah for this tragedy. Verse 18. And she refers to him as a man of God. I know what you're here to do. You're here to just to, to show me my sin and cause tragedy. That's what men of God do. That's what I think about God. That's what I think about God in this, in, in this context. And I, and, I, and I know it's because of Him. And I know you've just come to, to show me how bad I am. But then, in verse 24, she said, uh, you've given me a second chance. Now I know you're a man of God. Now I know you are a man of God. I, I, I think that I, I've had wrong theology. Praise God, he's given me a second chance on that. But, but God wants to remove all of that from our life. A lot of people think, oh, God just wants to punish me for my wrongdoing. He wants to expose everything that's evil inside of me. And just put tons of rules and regulations on my life. Please don't do that. God will give you a second chance on that. That's, a, that's not an accurate way of thinking. Paul says when he was converted, praise God, man, I was once ignorant. 
<laughs> I was ignorant. But God gave me a second chance and, and he offered me different theology. And I think, you know, wherever you are in life, I think there is a kind of thread of that in the youth at times where they think, oh man, God is, God is a taskmaster and get in line. God gives you a second chance. You say, man, God is not like that at all. He enters enemy territory and he, and he comes down and he helps me. God gives those with warps, warped perspectives a second chance. Praise God for that. Because we probably all have had some wacky ideas about God. And even if we still have wacky ideas about God, He gives you a second chance. As I want to continue to refine as you get to know me better. It's kind of like when you, when you have a first impression of somebody and you think, Whoa, not somebody I want to get to know. But then you get to know him and you think, Man, I totally called it wrong from the very beginning. We've all done that. Same thing with God. I think, man, if, if, I, if I would have just really opened my heart and my mind and my eyes to the scriptures, man, I was dead wrong about who God is. I think second chances also make us very gracious toward others. Right? I mean, that, if you know you're jacked up and you've got a second chance, you're very gracious <laughs> with other people. That's why Peter comes and has this conversation with Jesus. Man, if somebody keeps sinning against me seven times, and how's the, what's the limit, Jesus? Jesus says, there is no limit. Seven times, 77. Be gracious to other people because I've been gracious to you. Now I think I want, I'll go, okay, well, what exactly? I think we all have a bit of that rationale in us like Peter. Well, what, ex- what exactly does it mean to have limitless grace now what what about this scenario where it's repetitive and it's ongoing what what about this one we should be gracious toward other people what's your limit is there always a rationale is there always a justification no Jesus says I'm going to be gracious to humanity we should be gracious to other people. I think second chances also, also make us realize we shouldn't mistake God's kindness for weakness, though. Yeah. Oh, God is gracious. He'll forgive me. I can do what I want. Oh, yeah. He's also full of wrath. Don't forget, those two go together, okay? And I think, oh, because that, that's kind of the issue in Galatians. Oh, we, I mean, we're free, and, and if, if, if we sin more, there's more grace, so why not sin more? So we can get more grace. Don't mistake God's kindness for weakness. He's very compassionate and he's slow to anger. But there is anger. And I don't, I don't, I don't know the line. I don't want to find the line. But I know there is a line. And we can't mistake. I mean, he's, he gives us second chances. Don't assume it's just you have this flexibility and this freedom and you can do everything you want because there is a line. Don't mistake his kindness for weakness. And then I, I think one of the biggest things is second chances in the large scope of the narrative means we all can have eternal life. Yeah. And that's just not like a theological word or concept we should throw around. It's eternal life is kind of there in the beginning. There's the tree of knowledge and the tree of what? Life. And so there's this man that man and woman could have lived forever with God and enjoyed it. It would have been sweet as. But they mess it up. Humanity lost their chance to commune with God. 
And, and the rest of the Bible is God and His mercy and His grace saying, no, nah, humanity's gone off course. Noah, get your family, get in the boat. I'm going to save you guys and we're going to start over. And then, in His mercy and His grace, you know, the Israel, they, they get freed from Egypt, but then after several hundred years, they just are not getting it. And God says, okay, I'm going to have to send you into exile. But in His mercy and His grace, He brings them back from the exile, back to their homeland, because I want you to start again. I want you to have a second chance. And then ultimately this, this idea is in Jesus in the resurrection, that's, that's where we get a chance at eternal life. Now let me tell you something. The best thing the world has to offer us that, 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 that even they try to compare with is going to Mars. Now here's what I mean by that. Like there's this big push. We're going to be on Mars in 2027 and we're going to build things. Now, what's driving all that? And I think it's cool. And yeah, there's a Tesla floating around with a dummy in space. And that's awesome. And I, you know, I'm appreciative of all that kind of stuff. But what's driving all that is they think the problem is we're going to ruin the earth. So the solution is we go to Mars. And do the same thing all over again. Basically. So, so the plan, we're going to save humanity, we're going to Mars. Because we, and Jesus says, that it's not the problem. The problem is sin and death. That's the problem. It's going to be there on Mars or whatever planet you go to. And, and, and so humanity says, we have the answer. And we're going to land. We're going to build. And Jesus says, you don't have the answer. I have eternal life. I'll give you access to that because I'm giving you a second chance. We're all trying to make the most in this life and trying to figure it out and how can I do this and how can I raise my kids and how can I save money and how can I... And Jesus says, hey, don't worry about all of that stuff. I'm giving you a second chance to have access to eternal life. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Conclusion, this gospel story that, that we talk about on Easter, we believe, I believe, shows up in every single page of the Bible. Every single page. And it's simply stated that God comes into enemy territory and gives us a second chance. Now, if you think about it, the truth of the matter is, we don't just need second chances. I need third and fourth, and fifth, and you do too. And we all need these kind of chances. And at some point we get exhausted. I, I keep having to give people second chances. And then we have to remember, man, Jesus stretched himself out. Elijah stretched himself on the boy. Jesus stretched himself out on the cross and says, here is your second chance. And Easter is the description of that reality. Jesus stretching himself out, the second chance to top all of second chances. And let us really embrace this. And let us really reflect how you will respond to the second chance so you can look at Jesus on the cross and say, Surely that was the Son of God. Amen. Happy Easter.